How you doing? It's the Richie Allen Show, live from Salford, where there hasn't been a violent crime for 22 seconds, and we're very proud of that. Welcome to Salford. How are you doing? Hope you had a good weekend. It's at the BBG with you until 7 o'clock. I've got two terrific guests for you this evening. You can reach out to me during the programme through my website, richieallen.co.uk. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, it's five o'clock. Looking forward to hearing from you during the program. I will be joined uh, this hour by Dr. David Macareth. Spoke with David earlier on. Seems to be a proper gentleman. He's a very experienced doctor. And back in 2018, he was fired. He lost his job as a medical assessor for the Department of Work and Pensions because he refused to identify clients by their chosen gender instead of their biological sex. This is very serious. It's going to the High Court. Dr. David Macareth will join the programme this hour to talk about that very serious issue. In hour two, an old friend of mine, Dr. Rima Labo, MD, returns to the programme to talk, well, vaccine injuries, COVID lockdowns, vaccine passports and much more. We'll talk about what's been going on in Canada, in Ottawa with Rima as well, much more besides. So that's Rima Labo, Dr. Rima Labo and Dr. David Macareth. My guests on Monday's Richie Allen Show, live from BBG Towers. Yes, busy one it'll be. It's always busy, isn't it? Happy Hallmark Day, by the way. It is Monday, February 14th, isn't it? It is in the year of our Lord, 2022. Happy Hallmark Day. Really interesting, not very interesting, I should say. Chat on national radio today about whether married couples or cohabiting couples should even bother with it. Maybe we should just leave it to love-struck young singletons to enjoy Valentine's Day anyway. Hey, listen, have you ever fancied doing a reality television show? Did you ever apply for one? Don't lie to me now. Tell me. Tell all on richieallen.co.uk. Did you ever do it? Well, I obviously didn't. (laughs) No, of course not. No, I was in a reality TV show once, though, accidentally, accidentally. There was one of those programmes on Channel 4, one of those programmes where people prepare food for perfect strangers. You know those programmes where you participate and you cook for strangers and then they cook for you and then you all grade one another? Well, they came to Spain one year and they came into my better half's bar And I was in the bar when they filmed, so I was in it for a minute. Didn't get to say anything. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. Because the BBC will launch a vaccine-sceptic reality television programme later this year. They're going to get a bunch of vaccine-sceptics and they're going to stick them in a house to observe them, hopefully to change their beliefs. See if it's possible even to to change their minds. Let me read you briefly from the Times. It is understood that a diverse group who have refused the jab 
will live together for a period during which the documentary will explore their views on the jab and their misconceptions about its origin and side effects. Their misconceptions. They will present those participating, the vaccine sceptics, with, 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 with information, with evidence about the safety and success of the jabs in the hope they will soften their stance. STV Studios is an independent production company. It is doing it and it has begun casting for the documentary, dear listener. Maybe you should apply to STV. But we know how these things go, don't we? These types of castings. So STV will will have some offices and people who would like to be on the programme will come along. Let's say Mike. Mike comes in. Hi, Mike. I'm Bob from STV. Why would you like to be on the programme? Are you a vaccine sceptic? And Mike says, well, I am and I'm not. I'm a bit agnostic, really. The reason I'm a bit sceptical about these vaccines is, well, because as far as I understand, they're still in trial. And more importantly, I've seen some information from the VAERS, that's V-A-E-R-S, reporting system in the US and the yellow card reporting system here. These jabs seem to be causing quite a bit of harm. All right, Mike, says Bob. Uh, Listen, take uh, one of our cards as you leave and we'll, uh, we, we might get back to you. Next, in comes Ronnie. Ronnie, how are you doing? Are you a vaccine sceptic? I am, Bob. Why would you like to be on the programme? Well, because I'm a vaccine sceptic, Bob. All right, tell us about the vaccines then, Ronnie. Well, Bill Gates works three shifts in a factory, him and Melinda, and they've got these little micro-robots. They're like little micro-robots. They're like little spiders, and they put them into the jabs, and when you get jabbed, the spiders, they go up your veins, these little robots, and they get to your heart, and they eat your heart. Ronnie, you're in. You're in the house. That's exactly how it's going to go. Right? They won't be reaching out to anybody, will they? Who's going to talk about vaccine injuries. Anyway, the BBC, STV, currently, currently, STV are, well, auditioning, I suppose, to Russia then, to Russia. An invasion of Ukraine is absolutely imminent, according to that reliable geopolitical analyst, Liz Truss. Liz, is the Foreign Secretary these days. That's what Liz does these days. She's had quite a few gigs over the years. The the Tories have been in power. Now, the print media reckon that Liz is prepping for a leadership contest should Bojo go. She's taken a number of photographs lately. Her standing in a tank. Her wearing various items of clothing. Very Thatcher-esque. They reckon Liz is ready to go. I've always found her hilarious, Liz. Typical politician, pretty useless. That goes for all of them. Uh, gave us a good few laughs over the years, though. And I, I, li- I haven't dug this one out for a while, but it's, it's worth... We've got the opportunity today to play it. Back in 2014, Liz was the Environment Secretary, Liz Truss, and she gave a, a landmark speech at the Tory party conference, a never-again-to-be-forgotten speech back in 2014. Remember cheese, remember, and apples. Here is your possible next Prime Minister, Liz Truss. This is 2014 now. I want to see us eating more British food here in Britain. At the moment, we import two-thirds of all of our apples. We import nine-tenths 
of all of our pears. We import two-thirds of our cheese. That is a disgrace. Fantastic. Then she went off on apples, did Liz? From the apples that dropped on Isaac Newton's head to the orchards of nursery rhymes, this fruit has always been part of Britain. It's been part of our country. I want our children to grow up knowing the taste of a British apple, <laughs> of Cornish sardines, of Herefordshire pears, of Norfolk turkey, of Melton Mowbray pork pies, and of course, of black pudding. Yeah, there's your next Prime Minister, Liz Truss, then. We'll leave that one there, will we? We'll leave that one there, we'll leave that one there. So let's listen to her today, then. She chaired a COBRA meeting, uh, and she was delighted to talk about the fact that she chaired a COBRA meeting. An invasion of Ukraine by Russia is imminent, Liz tells Sky News. Uh, We're very clear there could be an imminent Russian invasion of Ukraine. And our first priority is protecting British citizens. British citizens need to leave now while commercial routes are still available. The language from the US and the UK has really escalated in terms of the Russian threat in recent days. Why do you believe a Russian invasion is so imminent? Well, we are fully aware that there could be a Russian invasion almost immediately. Where's the evidence, though, Elizabeth? That's the question you were asked. How do you know this? That is why British citizens do need to leave Ukraine. But we are also pursuing a path of diplomacy and de-escalation. That is why the Prime Minister and I are travelling around Europe this week. That is why we are working to persuade the Russians to remove their troops from the border, because a war would be disastrous. You talk about diplomatic solutions. What does that look like? Is it the Minsk agreement? Is it something else? What's the diplomatic solution here? We're very clear that Russia is the aggressor in this situation. They have 100,000 troops lined up on the Ukrainian borders. They need to de-escalate because it will be a cost to Russia if they invade Ukraine, both in terms of the cost of a long-running war, but also the sanctions that we would impose, which would be severe and would target oligarchs and it would target companies across Russia. Yeah, but those sanctions are unlikely to be anything more than like a mosquito bite on the backside of a Russian oligarch. Liz, trust there. It's imminent, this invasion. If you believe, well, if you believe UK politicians today, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, said there were signs that show that there are serious preparations being made by Russia. Again, they don't offer any evidence. Russia has had around 100,000 troops on Ukraine's border with Russia for about, and the Belarus-Ukraine border, uh, for about a week, 10 days, two weeks now. What has changed? Uh, The German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has met the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. He went to Kiev to do that. Uh, He warned that Western nations could impose, again, very far-reaching sanctions on Russia. So today, the message is the invasion is imminent, is it? Well, talk radio's Ian Collins asked Richard Sakwa that very question. Richard is a professor of Russian and European politics at the University of Kent. So, Richard, will it happen, this invasion? No, it's absolute nonsense. I have no idea why London and Washington are whipping up such uh, a war fever. Even when well, there's 130,000 troops on the border, that would be a good reason, wouldn't it? 
It certainly is. But you don't forget that you, it's not enough. If for an invasion, you'd need at least an advantage of four to one. I'm not a military man, but, uh, you know, Ukraine has got 130,000 troops on its side. It's muscular diplomacy. It's appalling. It's tragic that we are here today. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, diplomacy means not just simply telling Russia, don't do it. It won't do it anyway while the um, uh, the Beijing Winter Olympics are on. So until the 20th, if anything was going to happen, Kiev says it won't happen. It's got 130,000 troops on its side on out to the teeth. Uh, and part of the action was to stop Ukraine trying to attack the Donbass, the two artistic regions, mm. or even Crimea, which they now say is part of their policy, is to take it back one way or another. So it's preemptive. It's awful. I mean, no one can question, but we need to put it into the larger historical context and, of course, the larger context of uh, how, how we got to the state of international okay. politics today. Professor Richard Sakwa, University of Kent, there, saying it's not going to happen any time this week. He'll have egg all over his face if it does, won't he? Good man. It's a 13 minutes past the hour. Now, the culture wars, unconscious racism... Unconscious bias, Black Lives Matter, identity politics, gender, gender politics. It's all a bit mad, isn't it? But uh, you think you've heard it all until you hear something else. This is a bit mad, Ted. This is mental. Um, True Powell, that's T-R-U Powell, heads up Astor Performing Arts Academy. Astor Performing Arts Academy. Now he said, in fact he said over the weekend... He said, over the weekend, wait till you hear this, if I can find me blooming notes. <laughs> he said that his performers, or the performers who work for the Astor Performing Arts Academy, will not be accepting booking bookings even in future, that's corporate bookings or whatever, unless there is a guarantee that there will be people of colour in the, in the audience. What kind of fuckery are you? Yeah, yes, Amy. He says, we won't be taking bookings anymore from anyone unless they can guarantee there will be people of colour in the audience. This guy's in Birmingham. He was talking to Trisha Goddard. Remember Trisha uh, on talk radio over the weekend? I like Trisha. Used to watch her on ITV, daytime television. Here's Trisha. Here's True Powell explaining why we will not be taking any bookings. We will not perform for audiences unless there are people of colour in the audiences. Actually, what we do want to say to our corporate clients is, in a city like Birmingham that's so diverse and multicultural, we should be seeing people in the audience that look like us. So, <laughs> if we go to an event, or we would actually like events to have more people sitting in seats than on stage. So, typically, we do events for about 500 people. We're talking 3% of audience members to be black. They want 3% of audience members to be black or they are not going on stage. They are not going on stage ever again, says True Powell. We want a diverse audience or we're not playing. If 3% of the audience members are not black, then unfortunately we do not want to go in that space because... But how, how will you know though, True? How will you know when you, you could book, I mean, you know, such and such an awards? How will you know in advance what your audience makeup is going to be? Or do you just walk on stage, have a look around and say, nah, and walk off? And then we're off. <laughs> That's a good question, Tricia. How are you going to know? Because you don't have control over the ticket sales. The company, which has booked you to perform, 
sells tickets usually through a ticket retailer, online ticket retailer. How can they possibly control who's going to come to the performance or to the awards or whatever it is that you are doing your five or six minute performance at? How could they know whether the person buying the ticket is black, green, yellow, pink, white, blue, purple? How could they know? And that's a very good question. Damn good question. And that's all in the kind of suitability criteria when we're doing our negotiations. So <laughs> I love this. Hey, true. I, I like what your academy does. I'd like to book you for an event. I've got the money. I've got your fee. Would you turn up and do me an event? And this guy decides to do a suitability assessment on me. What is the world coming to, dear listener? So one of the questions that we will ask the event organiser is... One of the questions we will ask the event organiser, do you like blacks? Do you like blacks? Do you like Asians? I don't mind them. Is that all right? True? I don't mind them. Will you come and perform for me? What steps are you making to make your event inclusive? What steps are you making or taking to make your event inclusive? to make sure you represent the city. So I have to, I'm booking you to play for me, to perform for me, and whoever buys the tickets that I sell, and you want to be assured that I'm taking steps to make sure there is some diversity in the uh, <laughs> in the audience. Okay, true. And at that point, there should be such a, there should be some form of adequate answer to, appease us that actually this event will be well represented. We want to be appeased. True, you're brilliant. Love the dance routines there. You look fantastic. Will you come and play my show? I've got the £1,000 fee that you charge. Uh, Richie, we'd like to be appeased. We'd like to be appeased. I've got the money here, pal. Right, we don't even have to do the VAT. I'll give you an extra couple of quid on top. Just come, do the gig. We want to be appeased. We want to be assured that when we come out on stage and we look into that audience, we see people that look like us is what we want. And it might allow them to think about what they can be doing because, you know, we... Why didn't Trisha Goddard just wipe the floor with this dipstick, eh? A lot of things have happened and we, we constantly hear that actually, you know, these are ticketed events. You know, we can't force black people to go to these events. Actually... Of course we can't force black people to go to these events. You can't force anybody. You can't make... You can't... Well, I mean, what do you do? You, you phone up Ticket... Let's say Ticketmaster. I don't like saying Ticketmaster, right? But it's the one that we, we use quite, you know, more often than not. I know there are others, right? So what do you do? Hi, Ticketmaster. How are you? Richie Allen here. I'm running an event. Yeah, it's an awards do. And I'm booking this group of dancers and performers from the Astor Performing Arts Academy. Yes. Yeah, the problem is, there's this guy called True. He's a proper dickhead. He's insisting that I have, you know, 3% of the audience is black, ethnic, minority, Asian, whatever. Can Is there some way you can stipulate that on your website in terms of selling the tickets? Ticketmaster tell me to go and F off. You know, this is mad. Actually, for a large part of these events, they're corporate companies that are coming to these events who book tables. Now, this, of course, brings in a wider discussion around systemic and institutionalised racism. Yes. And who's, oh, my you know, God. So, certain seats and positions. <laughs> they walk amongst us. People like True, T-R-U, Powell, walk amongst us will not be accepting bookings in the future, corporate or what not, unless there's a guarantee there will be people of colour in the audience. And Tricia Goddard is a black woman, a very successful black woman, a very intelligent black woman. 
somebody I liked watching over the years, could handle a debate as good as anyone else. It was incumbent upon her to say, come on, man, will you? You know, if you're good enough, you know, institutional racism nonsense, if you are talented enough, if you are good enough, you'll make it. You'll make it anywhere. There will always be room for you. This is the Richie Allen Show, 20 minutes past the hour. Dr. Rima Labo will be on the programme a bit later on. Before that, we're looking forward, I think we are, I am, hope you are, to hearing from Dr. David Macareth. He'll be with me in a moment. He's a Christian doctor, a GP of great experience, and he lost his job at the Department of Work and Pensions three years ago, uh, more than three years ago, because he asserted his right to refuse to refer to transgender people by their chosen sex. And this is important, this. You know, the right of freedom of thought, the right of freedom of speech, not to be coerced, not to be told that you must believe something. And if you don't believe it, well, we can just take your livelihood away from you. Not going to be neutral on this as well, you might expect. This is very serious. We'll talk to David shortly. In fact, that particular issue has been making the news today and over the weekend, the Mail on Sunday ran a piece yesterday about a family on the Isle of Wight who were told by the head teacher of their six-year-old boy that he might end up with a label of transphobic after the six-year-old child said he was confused that another boy had started coming to school wearing a dress. Now, it's bound to be confusing to a six-year-old that a boy would turn up wearing a dress in primary school. I'm 47. If I'm working in a company, if I'm working in an office and a bloke comes to work there and he's wearing a dress, I wouldn't be very confused because I would guess the guy is, is, is trans. And that'd be fair enough, right? Six-year-old child is bound to be confused. We'll talk about these issues even with David momentarily. Do keep your comments coming in to my website, richieallen.co.uk. This is, verifiably, uh, the world's most listened-to independent news radio show, presented by me, Richie Allen. Thanks for being with me this Monday. It's going to be a busy old week. James Brown kicking off the tunes. James Brown and I got you on the Richie Allen Show 25 minutes past the hour... Monday's show, February 14th, Hallmark Day. Lots and lots of interest in my first guest. We'll, we'll introduce David in a moment. I've just been chatting briefly with Jean Ann. I never thought the day would arrive, would come in my life when I would be concerned with, with lawn, with grass, knitting to undersoil. We have a garden now, you see. The astroturf is gone. There's a garden with lawn that was put down last week. We had a bit of rain, thank God, and it's knitting nicely to the undersoil. If you'd have said to me some years ago, I would be concerning myself with such triviality, I would have said, you're crazy. But I am. Now, this is hugely important. Let's, I'll read very briefly from the Mail on Sunday. A Christian doctor who was sacked because he refused to refer to transgender people by their chosen sex or call any six-foot-tall bearded man madam will take his fight to the High Court. Dr David Macareth claims his Christian beliefs are being coerced and threatened in a bid to affirm the increasing number of patients who identify as transgender. Uh, David is an 
A&E doctor with 28 years experience. He was sacked as a medical assessor for the Department of Work and Pensions in 2018 after refusing to identify clients by their chosen gender instead of their biological sex. And the article goes on to say that David took his case to an employment tribunal in Birmingham supported by the Christian Legal Centre and uh, he's not had much relief yet and that's why this will go to the High Court. I'm delighted to welcome Dr David Macareth to the programme. David, thanks for your time. How are you? You're well. Uh, thank you very much for having me. This is hugely important. Go back to 2018. When, I suppose, whether it was a supervisor or a manager, said to you, David, there, there's a problem. Did it come out of the blue to you at the time? Um, the, 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 uh, the issue came up in training in a Department for Work and Pensions training course. Uh, and because the issue cut across my Christian belief, I raised that. So then I was questioned about my beliefs. Um, I was given the opportunity to do what they told me to do. Uh, but because this was against my beliefs, I told them that in good conscience as a Christian, I could not. Fair enough. I wish the press would make would make that clear because you, you read some of the press and it's almost like you were kind of bullying people who were coming in to be assessed and that's not the case. It's an issue that came up in training. And... Uh, and when did it when did it progress then, David, to where they said, "Listen, you're not for us, uh, uh, Doctor Macareth. We're going to have to let you go." Well, there, there was the, the, they were. Uh, the, I think the first thing that should be said is that people were very polite about it. So it's not the way things were done; it's what was done that's important. Um, so it was about a three-week process from me saying that I would not be able to. In good conscience, um, the, the, the term is six foot, call a six foot tall, Mrs. <laughs> six foot tall bearded man, Mrs. or refer to that person as she. Um, this 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 is the this was the conversation that took place, uh, and uh, there was about a three week pro- process after that in which they repeatedly asked me if I was prepared to do what they required of me. Now I believe that this was the government because it was a Department for Work and Pensions, ordering me to lie in the course of my medical duties. Right. Um, and I couldn't do that. You couldn't do it. Now, look, I'm very sympathetic to your situation and to your case going forward. I don't think anyone who listens to this show will will be surprised by that. But for those who aren't, and let me just ask the questions on their behalf, um, can't... can't couldn't someone like you or even someone like me, couldn't we stand firm over our beliefs, but also just play ball and just be polite? And if somebody wants to be referred to as she, just say she, even if you don't believe it, if you believe it's a bit silly. Well, again, this cuts across my Christian faith because it, I think it's quite clear from a scientific and a medical and a Christian Bible point of view that a person cannot change sex so to affirm that they can in that way because somebody orders you to is essentially to tell a lie. Uh, and this is the issue I've raised, that as a Christian, I'm not at liberty to lie. Now, I also believe that the medical profession cannot actually function if we if we are um, building our foundation as doctors and nurses on, on lies. So... So essentially, it's it's it, you might consider it's a small issue, but it, to me, it's a, it's a make or break issue. My entire faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in many ways, pivots on this because if I start telling lies, I'm merely say, I'm really saying my Christianity isn't important to me. I understand. So, 
the order coming from the government and, and then from, you know, your supervisors at the Department of Work and Pensions. It's the order that's the problem. Again, forgive me now for, for sounding a bit trivial, but I'll ask this. If I came in to you and I identified as a woman, and I'm not ordering you to do anything, but if I said, doctor, would you mind referring to me as Michelle and would you mind referring to me as she? I kind of get the impression, you know, from, from reading about you, talking to you today, that you're a nice man, that if I asked you politely, you might say, I'll go on then. Or uh, not. Uh, okay, well, I've, I've, I've never actually seen you face to face, so <laughs> <laughs> to, uh, let's, uh, let's, let, let's see this. The question is, um, are, are we able to be objective in our medical assessment of people? Right. Uh, am I all right to be honest? If somebody's asking me to do something that I believe is dishonest, as a Christian, I'm not at liberty to do it. But I would affirm that it is actually wrong to do that. Now, there will be lots of people, perhaps some people listening to this, who think that, that, that it's harsh of me to say that. Um, I'd like, I'll, I'll be happy to go on and explain what I mean. But essentially, you can't, you can't actually do that without adopting the entire domino system of transgender ideology. You can't, you, can, you can't draw a line under that and say, I won't accept transgenderism. So very soon you have um, 72 uh, genders on, um, on Facebook with, uh, with uh, H with its own uh, pronouns. And you go beyond that to telling little children in schools that they, if they're boys, they might be girls. And if they're girls, they might be boys. So what seems to be a fairly trivial act has very significant implications. You are actually adopting that ideology, and that ideology, in my belief, is wrong. Fair enough. That's, that's, a, that's, an, inter- that's an interesting explanation on that. Dr. David Macareth is our guest explaining there why you know, he refuses to identify people by their chosen gender instead of their biological sex, the repercussions medically. And, and of course, for, for ed- educational repercussions are, are serious. And I would, I would endorse uh, quite, you, you know, pr- pretty much most of that. Huge interest in this, unsurprisingly. And by the way, yes, thanks for telling me on social media, there isn't such a word as triviality. It's Monday, give me a break. Uh, thanks for that. Now, um, you're going to the High Court. So your your case is, I suppose, we're, we're looking at precedent here, really. Is there another case or has there been another case, David, at the High Court dealing with this? Right. Well, that's a good question. First of all, it's actually not the High Court. I know the mail printed that. Um, it's, it's the uh, Employment Appeals Tribunal. But I'll, I'll leave the legal stuff to my lawyers in the Christian Legal Centre who've been terrific help. Um, but... Uh, there is another case which is not far off my case, and that's the case of Mayor Forstatter. Now, I don't think Mayor Forstatter would say she was a, a Christian, uh, but she went to the appeals, uh, Employment Appeals Tribunal last year, and her case was this, that she said that it is unscientific to say that a person can change sex. Of course, I totally agree with that. Uh, it's unscientific to say that a person can change sex, and she won, and that was a very significant victory. And um, it's essentially from the Employment Appeals Tribunal, she won the right to be able to say that I believe that science teaches that a person can't change sex. She lost her job for saying that. So that was a very significant victory. That would, of course, raise the question, why do we need my case as well? Well, there are three, there are three things about my case which um, I think need to be raised, which are probably as important as the scientific argument to, to everybody. Uh, the first is this, that, that um, I'm being ordered to say things which I can't in good conscience say. That's the issue of free speech and forced speech. 
So mine it appears to be the first legal case which addresses forced speech, um, whether I can be forced to use pronouns in a new and uh, exotic way. Um, and the second thing is freedom of belief. The judges have said that I'm not free to believe Christianity, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, uh, and there's more or less made a ruling which says that everybody, Christians, other people, not Christians, um, must believe transgender ideology. Well, I don't believe that ideology. ideology. And th thirdly, there is no freedom to express our belief in the way that we live, no freedom of conscience, that we have to live according to the dictates of the government. So my case still has a very great deal of ground to cover and a lot to fight for. It's a very important um, point you made there, their, their, yes. their, their declaration that you don't have the right to believe Christianity, the right to your faith, but that you must believe a man if a man says that in fact he really is a woman. And that if you don't accept, if you don't agree to, to, to believe that, if you don't state your belief in that, well, it could have, well, it's obviously had repercussions for you. Uh, and you know, where, where does that leave wider society? Well, we're seeing quite a lot of this on social media. We're seeing people who have, you know, said similar things to you, being hounded out of jobs, being hounded out of education, for basically yes. stating what you and I would agree on are irrefutable facts. Biological yes. sex is is, um, is 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 a real thing, and you, you know, I, I remember my biology classes in secondary school. So that's scary. That you can't believe Christianity, you can't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you have to believe if a man says he's a woman, or else you don't get to work. I mean, this is Orwellian in the extreme, David. Well, it is. I mean, the, f the first point is this: as, as a professional, as a doctor, I, I have to say that I don't believe that the medical profession, modern medicine, can be built on a foundation of lies. Uh, so, essentially, every doctor and nurse should be free to say that they believe that a person can't change sex. Of course, if they believe a person can change sex, they should be free to say that as well. But there is a there is a coercion of consciences. There is a um, a crushing of freedom of speech in the medical profession as well. I believe. And uh, but we must be free. Every doctor and nurse must be free to say that in a free society. Now, it's important that we say that not just for the sake of medicine generally, but also for the sake of our transgender patients, because we have to start with a foundation of truth if we're going to serve people effectively and faithfully. Whatever our background is, that's what we have to do. Yeah. Now, go on. Go ahead, David. Go on. Thank you. Yes. Now, I wanted to, to say this as well. I, I've said there are these three things, freedom of speech, freedom of belief and a freedom to express belief. Now, my court case is about those three things. Those things affect everybody in this country. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're an atheist or a Christian or, or a Muslim or wh whoever you are, those three issues affect every single person in this country. So I would like to think that even the proponents of transgender ideology would wise up and actually see that they should support my case, because what happens if the political wind changes as some other ideology comes in. I'm not, I'm not talking about Christianity here. I'm talking about any ideology or a destructive ideology which is opposed to transgenderism. And the same principle is then applied where everybody has to has to believe the same thing or, or, or face the consequences. All of us will suffer if I lose my case. This is in the interest of every single person. It's in the interests of the LGBTQI plus movement as well that I win my case, even though I don't agree, agree with their position. Um, because freedom of speech is essential to us all. So the interesting thing here is, although I'm fighting this as a Christian, this legal case, as you've already said, is extremely important to every single person. Yeah. 
And you know, I've observed the media coverage of COVID-19 during the last two years. And I've been, even I've been shocked, startled at times even, at how they've been able to sideline doctors and scientists, often whose academic credentials mirror those of the government advisors. You know, scientists who say that lockdowns are not great, they're not good really, we shouldn't do them, we shouldn't use them to uh, to deal with um, with airborne pathogens. And now those people have been demonised and almost witch-hunted as well. I've been, I've been looking at that. There's a culture of this type of thing, isn't there, David, I think? Uh, I'm, I'm afraid so. I, I followed these arguments very carefully. And I think the thing that I have to say, what I find absolutely chilling is that people with impeccable, outstanding remarkable academic qualifications and clinical experience have been silenced because they haven't towed the line. Yeah. Once you get censorship in medicine, well, what, what could happen next? Um, Christians could be put in psychiatric institutions for praying, um, as they were in, in communist Russia, for yeah. example. Uh, this is the, 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 the silencing of, of good doctors like that is, is extremely disturbing. The parallels with my own case are quite chilling. Uh, and we must, we must be free as doctors, as medical practitioners, to speak up for the truth. And we must be free to debate issues and to compare evidence. Uh, and I entirely agree with you. Seeing the biggest thing that worries me is that, is that I've seen a lot of Christian, not Christian, a lot of medical colleagues who have been silenced um, by following uh, information on the internet. And this is extremely disturbing. Yeah, I've had, but we're going to move off that and back to the, uh, to the transgender issue. But yes. during the course of the past two years, I've had world-renowned epidemiologists on this program from, yes. ha- from Harvard, uh, Germany, all over the place, who, um, you know, they've basically been character assassinated by the media because they, they dare to say, listen, I think our scientists are getting it wrong. I don't think we should be doing this. We shouldn't be doing it to children. We shouldn't be putting masks on them and, and telling them they could kill granny. It's not good. And all of that. And yeah, watching that and how those doctors have been treated uh, has astounded me. We have Dr. David Macareth on the programme. A vastly, vastly experienced doctor is David A&E. 28 years experience. He was working as a medical assessor for the Department of Work and Pensions in 2018. He was fired after he said that he wouldn't identify clients by their chosen gender instead of their biological sex. David has been outlining why it's so important medically and scientifically, and why while it's also so important for education, for free speech, for, for freedom of, of thought. Let me I don't know if I'm asking the right person now, but and, and because of your Christian belief, which I have the utmost respect for, you know, my 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 upbringing was a Christian upbringing. I said to you today, lapsed Catholic, I have the utmost respect for your faith. I'm agnostic these days, but I don't know. I'm leaning away from agnosticism to maybe maybe moving back to where maybe where I used to be. But I do have enormous respect. But maybe you're the wrong person to ask this, but I'll ask you anyway. When someone is, is dealing with gender dysphoria or body dysmorphia, when someone genuinely believes that he or she was born in the wrong body, and it must be a miserable time for them. All sorts of changes going on, all those issues, uh, psychological issues. How do we care for them? Surely we've got to be, before you answer this, go ahead. That's a wonderful question. Uh, yeah. I think it's a question that many people want to know the answer to uh, in, yeah. in this situation. I've actually been careful to draw a distinction between speaking about transgender ideology uh, which goes well beyond transgender individuals and transgender individuals themselves. Now, uh, any doctor, any good doctor, will start by taking a history from an individual. So we start with an individual person. 
so I, I can't be specific because we have to start with the person as they are. We need to listen to them. We need to hear what they've got to say. Many of them, as you say, may be very distressed and they need to be treated with compassion and with um, kindness. And uh, as a Christian doctor, my duty is uh, my duty before the Lord Jesus has commanded me to love all people, whatever their background, whatever their ideology, whatever their situation. So I must treat my transgender patients with great respect, even if I can't agree with the ideology that's being pushed on me. Uh, so, 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 so as regards the individual, we must approach with considerable compassion. Um, we must listen. We must seek to help in the best ways that we can. But we must also be truthful. It's really important in medicine that we're truthful if we're going to help people. That's a very compassionate answer. You know, I think that sincerity comes across there. We, we're hearing so much about this in recent years. And I, I don't know why. Is it because more people are identifying as transgender? Or is it because the media, maybe the advent of social media, has decided to, I don't know, to kind of push this particular issue, to, to divide people with it? Because it, it's a very angry, very antagonistic issue whenever it comes up, whether it's on a show like this or whether it's on social media. But it is everywhere. Your, your own observation, David, are there more people identifying as trans than, than ever before? Or is, is this a media thing? Well, the interesting thing for me is this, uh, I say interesting, in many ways quite astonishing thing here, is that uh, four years ago when I lost my job, nearly four years ago when I lost my job, uh, I was asked by the media at the time, have you ever seen a transgender patient? And I said, well, in, in 28 years, I've seen one. Um, but in the last year, I've seen many, and often these are teenagers. And increasingly, it's so easy for teenagers to, 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 to just say they're a member of the opposite sex, that many more of those patients that I've seen in the last year have actually been teenagers who are, uh, who are claiming to be transgender. So I would say there's been an explosion. <laughs> and I, I, it's, it, I have to be careful what I say about this, but I, I will start from a Christian perspective and say that I think it is because we are living in a world that is moving away from God, is moving away from truth, um, is moving into uh, social engineering. Um, so that, for example, if you take something like Facebook and Meta, you can be any sex you want to be or any gender of any number of genders in a place which is unreal, but which people spend time in, in a yeah. place like Meta. And all of this is part of, uh, is part of a, a global, let's call it um, a contemporary Marxist um, approach that's my own opinion. That's my own position on this. But essentially, what we've had is colossal, colossal advertising um, of these things, normalizing of these things uh, in every aspect of society. And if you go out and advertise that that much, then you'll get quite a good response. And that's what's happened. Yeah, the impressionable... I, I, I'm, I'm very interested in children who... You know, boys who are maybe a bit effeminate and children and girls who are tomboyish. I think tr traditionally it was kind of looked at as well. Children are children and they'll grow out of whatever it is they're doing or they won't and it doesn't matter. But 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 laterally or 
recently it seems to be, well, maybe the child is trans and then people go to places like Tavistock and places like that. And I think that's totally wrong. Some very interesting points, David. Um, it's uh, This is flying by. We, we've only got a few, four minutes, a few more minutes even with uh, Dr. David Macareth. Isabel says, Richie, while I agree totally with Dr. David and support his right to freedom of thought and of opinion, could you ask David, how would he react if a schizophrenic came into his practice and asked to be referred to as they? Well, the, 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 the answer is um, I wouldn't refer to them as they. Uh, if, that's, if, if you're saying that's schizophrenic and that's delusional, um, I don't feel any obligation to support that delusion. Fair enough. Colm says he's in Dublin. They're listening from all over the place tonight. Richie, what about in the Gospel? Did Jesus say, thou shalt not call he a she? Uh, he did say, be nice to each other and treat people as you would have them treat you. Uh, so the doctor wants support but doesn't want to call Sean Mary, he says. So a little bit of criticism there. Most people are agreeing with you, by the way. But uh, there, there are others saying, you know, the compassionate thing to do might be to say to the person who might be in a bit of a stress who you are treating you know to say okay Mary or okay uh, you know no problems madam even though you know it's not Mary and it's not a madam but, but I know well, I know why I know what you said already I don't want to be asking you the same question over and over again yeah yeah fair enough so, so Jesus said Jesus said sorry the Bible says Genesis one twenty seven is is the verse I was quoting uh, when I lost my job and that's that we are made in the image of God and God has made us male and female. Now, Jesus has affirmed that in the New Testament. So Jesus' teaching is the same as the Old Testament. Jesus, of course, is God. And um, that, that that can't be changed. If if we are to pretend that a person can change sex, not only we do, do we do a disservice to that person, but we do considerable damage to what God has revealed in the Bible about his person, his, his nature and our nature as his created being. So, so there's an enormous amount at stake. But as I say, you can't just buy into the transgender movement uh, at the level of pronouns. Pronouns are really important. But once, once you decide to do that for supposed kindness, you end up going down the entire slippery sliding slope and nobody knows where the bottom of that slope is yet. Fair enough. Now, Diane, who was on this programme uh, a couple of years back, Diane is a transsexual and is listening yes. to this. And yes. Diane, Diane says, Richie, it must be remembered that transgender is a made is a made up term where transsexual does have a medical basis and has a diagnostic path with a treatment protocol, says Diane. Well, again, that, to discuss... The, the diagnosis and treatment under those bases is beyond my remit as a doctor. Yeah. The GMC requires me not to talk about things I'm not an expert in. Yeah. And I'm not an expert in that treatment. But um, well, Diane had, um, sorry, sorry, David, if, if, Diane had surgery, um, lived yeah. as a man, now lives as a woman, doesn't want to be, uh, do, doesn't expect people to believe uh, Diane that she's a woman, doesn't expect that or doesn't want any of that at all. Um, would be very sympathetic to many of the things that that we've discussed, that you've said uh, this evening. I want to ask you this because I don't get too much um, op opportunity to do it. When, when I worked, I used to work on a radio show in Spain, in Marbella many years ago, and Andrea Williams used to come on with me fairly regularly. And I always enjoyed speaking with her because me not being a person of faith, I enjoyed having her on to, you know, to kind of fill that kind of gap. Yeah, I like Andrea. I must get her back on again soon. Um, so I'll ask you, because I... I'm beginning to see things your way, Not, I don't mean spiritually, but in terms of this thing about is there 
I won't say a war on Christianity, but is it, um, are, are we seeing and have we begun to see in recent years a kind of a sneering, a kind of a condescending attitude and certainly a, you, you know, a, a, a kind of a discriminatory attitude towards Christianity kind of creep in to our society. And I would have said before, no, nah, I don't see any evidence of that, but I have to be honest and say what I see. I do think we're starting to see a bit of that. Well, I, I think the answer to that is that as Christians, uh, I, I speak as a Christian, as a preacher, as well as a doctor, it's time for us to stand up and fight back. And we fight back by preaching the truth in love. And have you seen this, Dave? I mean, that was a, a pretty short answer to that. But have apart from what's happened to you, which is, you know, outrageous, outlandish, and hopefully when, when it's not the High Court, I know you explained what it is, but hopefully when you get to that finality, when you have that final day, that justice and righteousness prevails and, you know, you'll be compensated. I doubt you'll want to go back to the job, but you'll be compensated appropriately for it and it'll be a landmark um, um, victory. But, um, you know, in, 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 in your general life as a Christian, have you noticed that? Have you noticed the tendency towards discrimination against Christians in this country in recent years? I, I, I think the, Is it the, obvious? The country... The country has become indifferent to Christians. When Christians speak up, they get ignored. Uh, when uh, other faiths speak up, they get given good attention. And I think we're forgetting that as a country, we have very strong Christian roots. So if I'm not because there are plenty of other Christians out there. But if I was the last Christian standing, I pray that by God's grace, I'd still be the man to stand up and say, I believe the Christian gospel to be true. Yeah. <laughs> so we, 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 these, again, as we've got away from our Christian roots, as we've got away from Judeo-Christian values in the Bible, this is why we've ended up in this moral confusion where, where it doesn't matter. Wherever you prod this ideology, your finger just goes straight through it because there's no solidity to it. If we want true values, I believe we must get back to the Bible. Fine, fine, thanks for coming on. Finally, I mean, you mentioned earlier on 75 genders on Facebook. Didn't the BBC run, uh, I don't know, they, they, they put together a video or a short film, didn't they, for schools where they claim that there are a hundred possible genders. I mean, forget about impartiality, forget about, you know, editorialising. That's patent nonsense, that, isn't it? I mean, how is this even it, getting out there? The, the, the sad thing is that children will believe it. They will they will drink it in without question. They won't be able to question it, many of them, I believe. Uh, and it, it is absolute nonsense. And the only thing I can say is the people who must defend their children are the parents. Parents, where are you? Stand up and defend your children. I wish you all the very best going forward, David. It was a real pleasure to meet you today. Thanks for coming on. I know you're in great demand and, uh, you know, all going well and you succeed. Uh, as Please God, you will do. I hope to talk to you again uh, at the end of all of this. Thanks so much for your time today and God speed to you. Good luck. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye for now. Dr. David Macareth, a Christian doctor, 28 years experience, accident and emergency had been a medical assessor for the Department of Work and Pensions, but was um, fired because he said, I won't identify clients by their chosen gender instead of their biological sex. Don't know when that, it'll be next year, something later this year, maybe next year before that comes up. Again, thank you for your messages. I'll read some of them in a moment. You are listening to Monday's Richie Allen Show live from Salford, from Super Salford, where there hasn't been a violent crime now for 42 minutes. Fantastic.
I get slapped for saying that, you know. There's no need for me to say that. Salford is lovely. It's hardly anything ever happens here at all. It's all in the past, you know. It's all in the past. This is Hanson. Remember this? A song called Umbop from, from the 90s. Dr. Rima Labo on the other side of the top of the hour. Busy Old Show Monday's programme. Your comments next. Hanson and Umbop. On the Richie Allen Show, three minutes to the top of the hour. It's uh, Monday's programme. I love being with you, you know. What else would I be doing, eh? Chatting with you during the week. Thanks for all the comments, by the way. Loads of interest, unsurprisingly, in that issue. Because it's, uh, well, it's everywhere. It's like I said, that story in the in the Mail on Sunday about the parents on the Isle of Wight who were told that their six-year-old might have to live with the label transphobe because he was surprised to see a boy come into school wearing a dress. Now, I I went to St. Saviour's Primary School in Waterford in Ballybeg. I'd have been fairly surprised now in in Mr. Dillon's class. (laughs) If one of the lads had walked in wearing a dress, I might have gone home and I might have asked a parent, maybe not knowing my parents, I probably wouldn't have done. Listen, Michael says there are the like the these are like the days of Noah. The violence and the gender dysfunction is demonic, says Michael. Uh, thanks for that, Michael. He says there is very little love and compassion. Back then, only Noah was found to be righteous. He says, but thankfully, the blood of Christ offers you salvation. You need to accept that sacrifice and adjust your lives. Evil is already lost, says Michael. Thank you, Michael. Steph says my girl decided she was a trans boy when she was 14. And it has been a devastating thing. I don't believe in gender, just sex, says Steph. It is like a cult that frames you as parents, a bigot. It labels the parents as bigots, um, as enemies, unless you affirm that, that your, your kid's new gender identity. Many autistic kids are caught up in this cult as well, as many would be lesbians and gay men. It is a homophobic, misogynistic belief system based on sex stereotypes, says Steph. I don't affirm my girl, but it has damaged my relationship with her. I can't, though, affirm her. No one is born in the wrong body. It's an offensive idea. You are born in your own body, says Steph. Thank you, Steph. Thank you. Uh, Cookie says, do we know who is paying for all the trans agenda propaganda? I don't. But I'm sure it's easy enough to trace the money. If you're curious enough. Isabel says, I was a tomboy with a shaved head till I was 15. Then I naturally embraced my femininity. I am glad it was over 25 years ago. If it were now, I feared the lessons they give at school might have influenced me differently. What weight has the schooling system in creating the surging wave of transgender thoughts in children's minds? That's a point made by Dr. David. He said if you push this stuff hard enough in schools and talk about the possibility of it and get children thinking about it regularly, well then you're going to get children thinking, well, maybe I'm a trans child or a trans person. Is uh, It's a good point, that. It's uh, just gone six o'clock then. Joined uh, momentarily, we will be, by none other than my pal and yours, Dr. Rima Labo. It's been quite a while since Rima was on. She's a medical doctor too, and uh, always great, great value. She'll be with us, as I said, in a couple of minutes. I think what I'll do is I'll take another tune, and then we'll we'll get Rima on. How about that? (laughs) 
It's a Monday. I should give myself a break more on a Monday, you know. Give myself a glass of water and back then with some more chat. This is Coldplay and Viva La Vida on your Richie Allen show. That is Coldplay and Viva La Vida on the Richie Allen show. Like to say hi to Jilly Soudin. How you doing, Jilly? She's been a listener to the programme for, for some years. I used to know Jilly on Facebook. She says, Richie, Dr. David Macareth, what a wonderful balanced man. So very refreshing to hear common sense spoken out uh, loud, she says. Thanks, Jilly. Nice to hear from you. Drop the uh, programme a line through the website, richieallen.co.uk. My uh, next guest needs no introduction whatsoever, so I won't give her the big introduction I normally give her. She's a brilliant lady, uh, is Dr. Rima Labo, MD, and it's always a pleasure to welcome her back to the programme. Welcome back, Rima. Thank you so much, Richie. It's just a joy to talk to you. Uh, it's a pleasure. I'd have you on every day if it wasn't for the fact you were, you, you're, you're that bloody busy. But uh, no, I do. I, I, I'm no stick of fan. I love having you on. I like throwing things at you as well. I like to try and catch you out. I was speaking beforehand with a doctor called Dr. David Macareth. David is a Christian doctor. He's a medical doctor like yourself. And he lost his job three years ago. Because he won't buy into the kind of transgender ideology stuff that's being forced on people. You know, people being told you've got to accept that if a man says he's a woman, uh, well, he really is a woman and you've got to use the correct pronouns and all of that. And as a Christian man, he stood up for his right to think freely, uh, to speak freely, and it's going all the way to the top court in the UK. Um that's one of the biggest battles we've got now at the moment, isn't it? Freedom of speech, the right to say whatever we think, no matter who it might offend. And no matter whether it is considered to be correct or incorrect. I have been inveighing against and warning against political correctness for decades, because once you control what people can say, you control what people can think. And once you control what people can think, you own them. And do you think that agenda to suppress uh, people in terms of what they can say and how they should say it, has that basically gone on steroids since the scamdemic began? It seems to me anyway. By the way, I refer to it as a propagandemic because that's all it is. Um, You uh, scamdemic, absolutely, but propagandemic because... We've been subjected to a level of propaganda and thought control that makes Mao Zedong, Hitler, uh, Pol Pot, and Joseph Stalin look like absolute pikers. This has been well-coordinated, globally um, orchestrated, funded magnificently, and unfortunately, it's been horrifyingly effective until now. Until and what's now. happening now is people are saying, wait, what? 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 That doesn't make any sense. What? No. I don't. Uh, no. And that's a very powerful um, iteration of the most important thing that a free man or woman, Christian, Muslim, Jew, atheist, doesn't matter. Any free person, free in their mind, has to say the following three words to tyrannical systems, whether they're academic, whether they're political, whether they're medical, whether they're religious. And those three words are, don't you dare. Fantastic. Don't you dare. 
the medical director of the Natural Solutions Foundation, the one and only Dr. Rima Labo is our guest uh, this hour. Do you know, I guess you will because I know you you keep an eye on what's happening this side of the pond, but we, we've got a bill going through Parliament here that will make it a criminal offence to spread medical misinformation and that they will seek jail terms of up to two years for someone who knowingly spreads that medical misinformation. And this is no joke now. So if this bill goes through here, I decide to bring my friend Dr. Rima Labo on the programme, who is a medical doctor, who's got qualifications coming out of her ears, right? And I bring you on and you say, Richie, there's some very good reasons why people might consider not having these vaccines. I could feasibly be arrested for putting you on the air. It's crazy what's happening here. It's not crazy at all. It's logical. <clears throat> it's evil, but it's logical. It's well orchestrated. It's well planned out. And it's all being done quite intentionally. So I don't think it's crazy. Oh, it's, it feels um, it though. It's terrible. And it must be stopped. I have put on our chat, and I sent you previously, uh, an action item, which I am really hoping that people will take, whether they live in the UK, whether they live um, in Azerbaijan, whether they live in Idaho, it doesn't make any difference. This action item must be taken. The appointed, not elected, governor of New York State, Kathy Hochul, has decided, uh, obviously stimulated by this same agenda and the same uh, globalist takeover um, intentionalities, um, has decided that since she can't get it through the legislature, and indeed a bill trying to do what I'm about to describe languished in the legislature for six years, long before COVID, and not one single member of the legislature of New York State would put his or her name to it, which is, you know, a good thing, um, she has decided that she would sneak this through using the the um, regulation system. Now, regulations in your country and mine are designed to make minor changes to the way things are done. A law is passed um, and uh, it's, the law is implemented. And then regulations can say, well, use this form, change this action, um, open a new office in um, Manchester or whatever. But instead, she's decided to use um, rubber stamped regulations, which are set to be approved tomorrow unless we stop them, to, to allow the governor or any agent <coughs> of the governor to indefinitely detain without review, due process, or uh, any kind of um, way out to indefinitely detain anyone who is said to be a public health threat with or without a medical emergency. So when COVID goes away before they bring in the next um, propagandemic, it doesn't matter, they'll be able to do this anyway to indefinitely detain that person, force medical treatment upon them if they wish, and basically disappear a person with no habeas corpus or other rights forever. If they're if declared by they somebody would. to be a health risk. A health risk uh, further undefined. Now, that's regulation number one. Regulation number two is your kid is in school. Well, the school nurse, upon her decision, 
can inject your kid with anything, a psychoactive drug, a vaccine, a poison, eh, another type of poison, I should say, doesn't matter. The school nurse gets to decide and you, the parent, have absolutely nothing to no, say no, about no, it. No need to get a signature from mom or dad saying it's okay. No, no need. No need. Uh, regulation number three. The number of people who are mandated to get these uh, kill shots, and that is not medical misinformation, that is medical information. Uh, the number of people who are mandated to get these shots in order to be employed is exponentially increased. There are no religious or medical exemptions. That's kind of a ding-ding. Yeah. And regulation number four, your employer must maintain your uh, medical, i.e. vaccine status records, and they must be provided to the state without your knowledge or consent at the request of the state at any time. And of course, that takes us back to number one, you get to be deemed a health risk if they want, uh, based on, for instance, your medical records provided by your employer. Well, this is coming worldwide, which is why it's so important for your listeners to take this action. Doesn't matter where they live, the more international attention this kind of uh, end run around human rights and laws and uh, constitutions and so on, the more international attention it gets, the less likely it is to they be. Might do it. Can I very quickly run down those again for my listeners who might be just astonished at hearing that? So the unelected, you're, you're quite obviously quite right to say that, uh, Governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, um, wants to introduce, regu- is going to try and force through regulations for, for New Yorkers from tomorrow that would give the state the right to indefinitely detain someone declared to be a health risk of any kind for any reason with no due process, allow school nurses to vaccinate kids or give them injections with anything deemed necessary with no parental consent and no exemption for the children. And you missed one out. Uh, Thanks for sending sending them to me, by the way. Require unjabbed people to wear masks in public, even if there's not a health emergency uh, declared at that time. No exemption again, no no due process. Amazing. And, and, and let me say that what that does is set up a second-class citizenship uh, category with a yellow star on their faces instead of their arms. That's right. Greatly expand the number of employees who must have the jabs with no exemption, due process or appeal. And then no religious exemptions to be allowed for employees. Um, so... And employers will have to maintain records on their vaccination status, on their employees' vaccination status. And if the state wants to see those records, employers would be compelled to 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 uh, produce them. And and ordinarily, this type of thing would 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 be put to a vote, wouldn't it? This this sort well, of ordinarily uh, changes like this, which are vast and um, uh, very 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 profound would have to go through the state legislature. But the state legislature has failed to do what the globalists wanted. So their particular sock puppet of the moment in New York, uh, Governor Hochul, is using this end run, this regulatory um, process 
by which the um, commission that she presented to tomorrow will rubber stamp it. And then these uh, regulations, and I want to talk about medical exemptions for a second. These regulations would then be um, put into effect on March 2nd. As it happens, March 2nd is the day that the stay that um, a judge put into effect for a number of regulate a number of uh, draconian um, COVID measures expires. So this takes that stay and trashes it. Um, the purpose of the stay was to give the case more time in the courts. This is the importance here. And by the way. Uh, as far as I know, I could be wrong, but as far as any of us knows, I am the only physician licensed in New York State willing to write medical exemptions for people in New York State. So when I said no religious or medical exemptions, although the regulations stipulates no religious exemptions, the reality is that medical exemptions have to be um, offered as a learned as an opinion. Uh, by a learned intermediary, that's the term, known as a physician. And as far as I know, I'm the only physician left in New York State who has the, um, the gumption to write medical exemptions. So the, uh, it's, it's a very, very, very scary point. The doctor that you mentioned um, who spoke against the official narrative based on his conscience is not alone. Doctors are losing their licenses. Dr. Merrill Nass, who is a former um, uh, military surgeon, for heaven's sakes, um, Dr. Nass uh, has had her license suspended for two months by the Board of uh, Medical Arts in Maine. And what was she doing? Forced, sorry, sorry, what was she doing? Was she was she prescribing ivermectin? Was she recommending she was to people telling people the same thing I'm telling people? Right. Okay. And um, she she may have been prescribing ivermectin, but she's been providing medical information against the um, the culturally approved dis and misinformation. So she's been a truth speaker about these dreadful, dreadful jabs and about the reality of the bioweapon status of the spike protein. Um, so uh, many doctors, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough um, and, and many, many, many others are in the same position and many of them just bow their heads, don't take the vaccine or the so-called vaccine for themselves or their families and then inject it into other people knowing that they are killing them. I suggest anybody who is in the health professions, either as a uh, an actual patient care provider or an administrator or anybody else, go to healthkeepersoath.com or is it .org? Healthkeepersoath.org and Take the health keeper's oath, reminding yourself and others that every modern tyranny co-opts and corrupts the healthcare profession in order to legitimize what it does. And you as a healthcare professional have the right, the responsibility, and the duty of care to say no. I will not use who and what I am, who and what I know for harm. I will not use my skills and my um, my capacities in education 
for suppression and totalitarian um, means for tyranny. It's, it's an important statement that we have to make and take. Um, as it happens, there are many agendas. There's the transgender, uh, the, the, the um, uh, sorry, the, the gender agenda. There is the um, uh, political agenda in which if you say anything that might offend somebody, you are now guilty of hate speech. And that has been criminalized. Uh, uh, open debate cannot be held because the other person might not agree with you and might be offended. Um, this is mind control carefully orchestrated to make you willing slaves. Yes, this is a classic example of this. A classic example has been playing out in your country. And that is the podcast host, Joe Rogan, who has probably the most successful podcast in the world, interviewed credible and experienced physicians and cardiologists who expressed their concerns about the safety of the jabs. And what's happened is the media has attempted to destroy Rogan and other so-called celebrities have attempted to destroy Rogan for having the temerity to speak to people with qualifications who have a different opinion. And an amazing, you, you talked about the death of debate there. Does it occur to any of these people that it might be entertaining and certainly educational if we got Dr. McCullough and, and others, you know, yourself and others, and put them up against Fauci and the UK government advisors and had a proper old-fashioned, old-school debate where you tell us why the jabs are necessary and you, on this team, you tell us why the jabs are not necessary and why they're dangerous. But no, that doesn't happen. They try and shut down Rogan and anybody else who has a conversation like the one we're having now, rather than say, well, if the government scientists are, are so, you know, infallible, if they're so right, if they've got nothing to fear, why don't you debate with, you know, some of the very famous epidemiologists who disagree with you? There is no debate. Debate's gone. We're in a post-debate world now, aren't we? I'd love to, to, to ring up some of these people and say, listen, I've got a medical doctor on. She's called Rima Labo. She thinks the jabs are dangerous. Why don't you come on? I'll give you equal time. I'll make sure you get as much time as Rima. No chance. No chance of that happening. That's tragic. No for a very specific yeah. reason. Debate has been halted and censorship has been instituted at a ferociously intense level, specifically because there are no facts upon which they stand. There are lies, there is deceit, there is scientific statistical manipulation, there is um, obfuscation, and there is intention to harm. And they know that we know and can prove each of those allegations. So it's not mis or disinformation, it's factual, actual information. And the last thing they want is for intelligent people with a knowledge base that can substantiate these ideas to make them public. That is why the Natural Solutions Foundation was deplatformed a year ago this past October from Facebook and Twitter and the other legacy media. That is why so many 
doctors and nurses and um, people who work for agencies like um, the National Health Service and the CDC and so on have become whistleblowers because their consciences still work even if the system is attempting to both shut them down and destroy them if they speak freely. I will remind listeners that my husband, Major General Albert N. Stubblebine III, was not only born on February 6th in 1930, he was killed on February 6th in 1917. Why? He was the president of the Natural Solutions Foundation, of which I am the medical director, and he was vocal, vociferous, articulate, and right, and they can't stand that. Well, what about you, Dr. Rima? What about your life? Yes, there have been at least seven serious documented attempts on my life since he was killed. They don't want this information out there. They want you dead. And if somebody like me or somebody like you, Richie, is uh, getting in the way, then we are cockroaches to them, which makes it all the more important for there not to be one or two or 10 or 17 of us, but for there to be millions of us, which is why the action item that I ask people to take, and I've, I've put on our chat and emailed to you, is so very important. I will tell you that our experience has been worldwide through the Natural Solutions Foundation use of this exact technique, this flooding the, the evildoers with worldwide attention saying, don't you dare, we have managed to stop an international treaty from going through in Chile, which would have given complete control of the entire genome of Chile to um, the biotech companies, that's called UPOV-91, a UN delight. Yeah, I remember um, we talked about this, yeah. We have, we have stopped the U.S. government from mandating um, infertility shots for the entire population in 2009. This works, but it only works if all of us pick up our, our freedom mouse and use it. Correct. People can go to opensourcetruth.com, by the way. Go to opensourcetruth.com. You'll find the the New York imposing prison state regulations over COVID. I can put a link on my website later on, opensourcetruth.com. Dr. Rima Labo is our guest. Do you take any heart in the scenes we've been witnessing in Ottawa, Canada in the last couple of weeks? Does that give you a real boost in terms of like, yes, uh, you know, this is what can be done. People can bring a city to a standstill and, 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 and directly challenge, you know, the government there saying that, listen, we're not going to take these jabs. We're not going to be forced to take them. How have you read that situation in Canada? I've been in very close contact. By the way, I am a member, and so should you be, all of you, of an organization called the World Council for Health worldcouncilforhealth.org. If you have an organization like mine, the Natural Solutions Foundation, you become an affiliate member. If not, you just become somebody who is following them and disseminating the incredibly important, powerful, high-level information that they make available. They have a general assembly once a week. I will be attending it after we finish our uh, our chat here, Richie, and the very highest level scientists, lawyers, leaders, thinkers, bioethicists, etc., in the world make 
short, comprehensible, important presentations there every week. It's a remarkable organization spreading truth. Well, it comes out of Canada and New Zealand. And the Canadian dental surgeon who um, founded it, Jennifer Hibbard, in Toronto, and I are in very close contact, and we've been following Ottawa very carefully. Now, initially, of course, the Freedom Convoy of more than 50,000 trucks, think about that, more than 50,000 trucks, was incredibly uplifting for all of us. But at the same time, I said, this is terrifying, not because of the truckers, but because if the police and the military, the government, managed to provoke these people to violence, we've all lost the whole battle. But they haven't, now, have they? I'm sorry. They haven't managed to do that. They're, they're, Not I, yet. I, yeah. They have done dastardly things. They took their, now it's 20 degrees Fahrenheit below zero in Ottawa. It's dead it's winter. Freezing. Yeah. And they took the, the tanker trucks and other um, uh, oil, petrol, fuel supplies away from them. They stole them. A judge two days ago in Canada said, you can't do that. That's private property. Give it back. So they brought back the, the um, tankers uh, filled with, supposedly filled with uh, diesel fuel, but they brought them back half empty. So they stole half of this valuable life-saving commodity in 20 degree below zero weather. And and they contaminated the tanks with water, which will destroy a diesel engine. How do we know uh, this now? How do we know this is true? Uh, well, the, the truckers have been um, been making They've it They've been talking about allies. it. Okay. Yes. Now, uh, it's even worse. We're talking about very, 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 very cold and dangerous weather. They, the government of Canada, Canada closed all public restrooms and forbade anyone to supply food or fuel to the truckers. There are children. They That's brought right. their families, you know. Uh, and still there was no violence. Still there was um, peaceful demonstration and polite interaction with the police. Then the next thing that happened is um, having forbade fuel, the citizens of Ottawa began bringing jerry cans. Do you call them jerry cans? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, okay. Began bringing jerry cans full of petrol, full of fuel to the uh, to the truckers, even though there is a $700 fine for the first offense of doing that. Thousands and thousands of people. We have inspiring videos of the citizens of, uh, of Ottawa bringing them fuel and food despite the legal restriction. The threat of the fine. The Wonderful now, that, isn't it? Wonderful. The, the threat of well, the $700 well, 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 fine well, well. and they do it anyway. Now they are arresting and there were was uh, uh, a blockade at the uh, Detroit-Windsor-Canada Friendship Bridge. That blockade of trucks uh, has been ended because the truckers have been arrested and their rigs have been towed away. Um, what happens next? They are removing the children 
in Ottawa from their families saying they're concerned about their well-being. God knows what that means. Hang and on, hang on, hang on. Can you, can, you, can you clarify that again? So, so Child Protective Services have attempted to remove the children of truckers, some of the children who are on the, who are on the blockade. Is that right? Mm-hmm. They say they're concerned about the cold and the carbon, carbon dioxide exhaust. Well, they might have a point. They they might have a point, except that if the trucks had fuel, they'd be warm and toasty. Yeah. Truckers are not going to bring their children with into a dangerous situation, uh, not able to heat the environment and so on. They're not fools. No, I'm just being murderers. I'm just being the devil's advocate here now by saying that. But That's it, fine. there might there might uh, be some listeners who who might say, well. Maybe a protest like that with, with the potential for it to become volatile. Maybe it wasn't the wisest move to bring the children on the protest. I'm not saying I believe that, but I'm saying some of my Maybe listeners will. it's not the wisest move to, to put an experimental kill shot into your kids, and yet people do that. You'll get no they argument from me, as you well know. decision, unfortunately. Um, and, and nobody said being a parent makes you wise, but it does give you rights. Fair enough. No, you won't get and any no, arguments from me there. So, so, so you feared that violence would be provoked by the authorities. It hasn't happened yet, but if child protective services are turning up, if people get hungry, if it gets colder, which it might very well do, you think there might be a tipping point, and this is exactly what the authorities want. They want Absolutely. people, yeah. This is exactly what they want. And the Canadians are not an armed population. US populations are very heavily armed, as you know. Yeah. Canadians gave up their guns. Um, this is um, something to consider, that this means that the government has the guns and the criminals have the guns and you don't. Now, there's, there's a very, very um, moving video of a group of people in Canada, truckers, um, being attacked with an ultrasonic um, weapon. And you can see the weapon that the police or the RCMP have deployed against the people. And what it does is disrupt brain function and nervous system function. It's a very, very damaging weapon. It doesn't kill you, but it does really bad things. And they turn this on and all of the cops standing there are wearing earplugs and they each have a spare pair of earplugs ha on their uh, uh, rig hanging from their chest. And the leader of the uh, protesters goes to the line, the phalanx of RCMP and says, there's a child here. There's a girl. She looks to be about 12 years old. There's a child here. You're protecting yourselves with earplugs. Will one of you give this child a spare set of earplugs to protect her from the sonic weapons that you've turned on to damage and incapacitate us? And not one of them, not the sergeant, not the soldiers, will do so. But a trucker walks up who's got earplugs, because I guess he knew what was coming. He's got earplugs. He takes the earplugs out of his own ears. I get goosebumps when I think about this video. It's on Open Source Truth uh, on Telegram. He takes the earplugs out of his own ears, knowing that he's exposing his brain and his nervous system to possibly irreparable damage, and he hands the child his earplugs. It's fantastic. Now, why are they using sonic weapons? And you know, you mentioned, you mentioned, you mentioned your late great husband, General Bert Doublebine, 
Um, m- most people will know who Pooh Barrett is or was. They can they can look him up. They'll they'll see John Ronson's book, but but don't read John Ronson's book. Uh, Bert was was uh, I I I always saw him as a whistleblower. He 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 talked about these technologies for years, didn't he? He blew the whistle on these technologies. And isn't it funny? I was only thinking of Bert uh, late last year, not long after we spoke last, because the BBC is covering this phenomenon in Cuba, where people are being attacked by kind of subsonic or ultrasonic weapons, you know, microwave weapons. Uh, the, the BBC have been, have been writing about this. This is the sort of technology that, that Bert would have been talking about. In fact, he did when he came on this programme uh, a few years ago. That's torture, that. I mean, to be openly using those weapons on a civilian population is, is reprehensible. issue here in the United States. And in, not in France, but in New Zealand or in Australia. I don't know whether they think they're being clever. They're using, they're playing Barry Manilow records and stuff like that. You know, blasting out music at people to try and get them to, uh, to go home. I don't know what's going on. It's farcical, some of this stuff. But what you've just described isn't farcical. It's incredibly dangerous. I mean, I guess your concern as a physician would be that because children's skulls are obviously nowhere near fully developed, these ultrasonic weapons might have permanent effects on on children, long-lasting well, not effects. Not that they're designed to have um, potentially permanent effects on adults as well. But yes, of course, they're much more dangerous for children in the same way that 5G is much more dangerous for children, that cell phones are much more dangerous for children. Absolutely, but understand... Uh, in the United States, for some reason, the decision to make these um, these COVID jabs available to children from six months on up, yeah. six months um, was deferred on Thursday. I don't know why it was deferred by the FDA, but they'll accept it so soon enough. These shots have, they're still experimental and they have disastrous effects on every part of the body because they don't give a result in children the, at two shots, the protocol will be three shots. It didn't work at two. It has incredible damage built in. So let's give more, not none. This is, and every parent, let me say this and be totally offensive, Richie, every parent who has volunteered their child for the the clinical trials, and these are all clinical trials, is committing a crime against their child because the long-term effects of these shots has yet to be determined. To be determined. The short-term yeah. effects are already known, and they're disastrous. You would have we, to be insane, wouldn't you? I don't. Have wouldn't you? I don't care what the jab is for. I don't. They, they want to roll out an obesity jab here now in the UK where people would get weekly or monthly shots to prevent them from becoming obese. You and I talked about this years ago. When we first spoke, I was on the radio in Spain, and you blew me away. You were saying to me, Richie, in the future, we'll have a coercive medical system where people will be given jabs for everything. You said that to me 11 years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's all coming true now. You said to me, I, I thought you were cracked at the time, really. I liked you, and I liked having you on. I, I like your moxie, your obvious, your obvious intelligence. But back then, I, I thought, Rima's great value. She gets a lot of stuff right, but I think some of this stuff is cloud cuckoo land. 
I am wrong. I was wrong then, and I'm not wrong now. I know now. That's, that's, that's what they're doing. How could you, as a parent, give up your child for, to, to, be, to be a lab rat in, uh, in an experiment for a new type of medicine? It's madness. Not only how could you? Not only how could you, but in any country that has ratified the um, Convention on the Rights of the Child, and your country is one of them, unfortunately, yeah. the United States is not. In any country that has done so, it specifically says that a child cannot be experimented upon if there for a condition or a situation which bears no direct threat to the child. There is no COVID threat to the child. The vaccine, so-called, is the direct threat to the child. Maddie Grady is a, a youngster who is now paralyzed on a feeding tube, um, unable to um, uh, uh, walk, to move, uh, in terrible pain, coming very shortly after the Pfizer um, the Pfizer jab, but Maddie Grady was put into a clinical experiment against a uh, supposed disease that had no threat no impact to Maddie on Grady by her parents who said, oh, well, this must be <coughs> virtue. This must be a good thing to do. We'll use our daughter as a lab rat. And then the FDA and Pfizer said, oops, stomach ache, never mind. And never mind. From the trial. And can, and the can, I, can I ask you this, Rima? And I, I, wait, let me let me. My let me apologies. Go ahead. Go I'm ahead. Safe. Maddie Grady is a great tragedy. Her parents behaved criminally. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Richie. No, no. What fascinates me, I I'm not saying it would justify giving up the child for the experiment. I'm not saying it would justify, but it might be more understandable if there was a financial or a significant financial reward for it or, or compensation you know listen would you would you submit your child for a, an experiment we'll, we'll give each family 10,000 bucks now I'm not saying that would justify it but it would make it somehow more understandable but but my my, my actual understanding is Rima they don't get any money for being a part of these experiments or not very much or very little if anything at all so I, why would you do it nothing why would you here's something else you said two years ago when they started to talk about, well, it won't be two years, it'll be more like more like 18 months, when they started to talk about the new jabs. We'll, we'll rush these jabs out, we'll get them out by Christmas 2020. And I was speaking to you, and the, the Health Secretary of the United Kingdom at the time, a guy called Matt Hancock, he said, 15 million jabs to freedom. If we get 15 million vulnerable, million vulnerable people jabbed, we can all go home, or we can all leave home and say it's the end of the pandemic. At the time, you said bollocks. You didn't because you're a lady. You said no way. Not only will they give these jabs to children, you said, and I was listening back to the conversation today, you said they will even attempt to find a way to give these jabs in, you might have said in utero. They will try and give these jabs to fetuses. And again at the time, I, I interrupted you and I jumped in and I said, no, give over. But you're right. They are looking at how they can give them to fetuses. These jobs. They are giving them to fetuses. They're giving them to fetuses. To the pregnant mother. Yeah. 
you're, you're right, but you actually said they'll try and figure out a way to actually give it to the fetus, to actually, to, you know, to inject it into uh, the fetus, not, not, not just yes. through the placenta. And you're right. We also, weeks, yeah, oh, madness. Three weeks ago, I read an article that said that they were experimenting with in utero injection. Yeah. And our mutual friend Spiro Skouras said to me some months ago, he said they've, uh, they've already got these self, oh God, self-spreading vaccines. So, oh, these are self-spreading. Wait, 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 wait. It's yeah. not that they already have them. These are self-spreading. These are contagious vaccines. DARPA, the Defense um, Agency uh, Research Program, which does a whole lot of dark work. DARPA had supported the development of contagious vaccines for more than a decade before these so-called vaccines were rolled out. These are contagious vaccines. People who have been jabbed transfect. They do not shed the spike protein specifically, as far as we know. They transfect other individuals and themselves, of course. They keep re-transfecting each other and us, the unjabbed, with God knows what. And I have been working with people in a number of places to find out what it is that they are transfecting people with so that, uh, and we all know this at this point, uh, reproductive cycles are messed up, neurological systems are messed up, uh, digestive and and um, uh, respiratory and skin systems in are the unjabbed. Up. In the unjabbed, in, you're saying? Yes, they, they already are contagious vaccines. Now, if you go to a store and somebody in line next to you or the checkout person uh, transfects you with something that you did not give your informed consent for, what's just happened to you? A crime against you has been committed. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to prove it? How could you prove it? Yeah. Invisible. So I am working hard with, uh, with people to find out what what is being transfected and then find out how we can well, do you know what? protect... You, you are entitled to that opinion because you're, you're a physician and, and, and more. And yours is a learned opinion. And, but, but I have to say this. This is theory at the moment. I know it's theory based on circumstantial evidence. That's why you're saying it. But it's still theory. I just don't want to believe it. I don't want to believe that no, the jab... The Page jab represents are a problem no, to me. You're wrong, my friend. I know you believe Page you're 49. right. No, 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 no. Listen. Page 49 of the, I'm sorry, page 149 of the Pfizer clinical trial documents. The very big, thick documents. You've got it there in front of you, you have. I have published uh, the, the uh, reference and the link on Open Source Truth. Says that people who have received not the placebo arm, but the active arm, who have been jabbed, are contagious to other people. And the example they give is if a, a man who has been jabbed walks through the office space of an unjabbed woman, a secretary or a receptionist or a colleague, who is pregnant at the time, the baby and the mother, or the fetus and the mother, have experienced an adverse event of a serious nature because they have breathed 
in what he has breathed out. And this must be reported to Pfizer, but it's not counted as an adverse vaccine event class one because the woman and the fetus did not receive the vaccine. They received the transfection. This is not theory. This is documented by, by Pfizer. Pfizer. Wow. Clinical material, page, clinical trial page, material. Go to open, open source truth. Uh, dot com folks to, to, to see that information Rima just described there. Here's the the question that's coming in from everyone. Uh, my great friend Jean Ann Crowley in Ireland is asking this and people are asking this on my website. So we're unjabbed and we've never had any jabs and we look after ourselves. Won't our natural immune system, our functional immune system deal with this transfection and fight it off? We were talking about ordinary contamination by a biological agent, which is what your immune system is designed to deal with, or low levels of um, or other contaminants. Yes, but we have never faced injection of graphene oxide, which transmits its, which transmutes into graphene hydroxide. We have never been injected before the advent of uh, vaccines with aluminum. We have yeah. never been injected with nanobots, self-assembling nanotechnology. We have never been injected before with um, the, the hydrogel. Um, we have never been injected before with things that are designed to alter our DNA. Reverse transcriptase takes mRNA and puts it into the DNA. These are gene-altering techniques. These are novel to the biological experience. And therefore, our immune systems, which are very wise and have figured so out never how seen to deal this with stuff what we need in the natural world, yeah. have absolutely no experience in dealing with this. No, it, it doesn't recognize them. You're, you're, um, it's great to have that great big dog there, but we, we've, we've got a great big German Shepherd. Well, she's getting big, our German Shepherd here, and our retriever. Dr. Rima Labo is our guest today. Um, right, you mentioned graphene. Now, I, I'm not disagreeing with you at all because I believe, I believe the, that, that, that graphene is in some of these jabs. I believe it, and I'm also living in the graphene capital of the world, where it has been developed in Manchester, in, here in the UK. This is, this is ground zero for graphene. Amazingly, despite the evidence that's out there that the jabs contain graphene, they are loudly, constantly loudly, vociferously denying this fact. You've got Reuters news agency, you've got the chemical companies, the, 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 the Pfizer, uh, obviously all of them, GSK, are blatantly saying that this is crazy cuckoo conspiracy theory. There's no graphene whatsoever in any of these jabs. We don't know what you're talking about. This is ridiculous. Despite there being an abundance of evidence that, in fact, graphene is part of the makeup of these jabs. Wait a minute. Are you suggesting that there's a conspiracy of lies? In, in <laughs> no, no, I'm not being, I'm not being naive. It just, it just strikes me. It just, it just strikes me as kind of incredible that despite the you know, the, the, the research that's been done breaking down these vaccines by credible people, by real scientists, they still maintain graphene is not in these jobs. 
Loudly. There's a reason that the word big is attached to the word lie in this situation. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. So they so so they're basically reverting to type, which is deny, 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 deny. Just keep denying it. Deny, obfuscate, and attack with ad hominem um, attacks. Yeah, and and you know you mentioned earlier on about death threats. Um, Rima mentioned death threats earlier on. Um, I I believe her. I know in recent years, even before COVID. Doctors and researchers have been dying in the most bizarre circumstances uh, for many years, including, you know, circumstances like shooting themselves in the back with a shotgun, which I think is actually, well, everything is theoretically possible, but I think that's pretty much impossible. Doctors do have to watch their backs. Dr. Dr. Bradstreet, who was the first of 105 doctors of whom I'm aware, who was murdered um, to shut them up from talking about something called Nagalase, yeah. which has been uh, added to at least pediatric and perhaps other vaccines. These are real vaccines, not pseudo vaccines like the COVID ones. Um, they discovered this and they discovered that if they gave people something called GCMAF, which David Noakes was making available, um, they could uh, cure autism, they could cure, which is a vaccine-induced disease, they could cure cancer, they could cure many things. Um, And this, of course, was unacceptable uh, to the um, uh, medical hegemony, the pharmaceutical hegemony. So Dr. Bradstreet, who was a young, healthy uh, man with uh, uh, a family and doing very nicely um, in his life, shot himself twice in the heart with a shotgun, which is quite a trick. Some tricks out, yeah. after he was dead, he dragged himself to a nearby river and drowned himself post-death. And this was ruled less than 24 hours later by the coroner of the county in Florida in which he was living. This was ruled a suicide. Yeah. He determined to die. And then um, 104 other doctors involved in the same research uh, died under very, very strange circumstances, also called uh, suicides. A young woman, the next doctor to die, was a young woman also in Florida who was waiting for her 11-year-old son and her husband to return from the child's uh, Cub Scout meeting, or Boy Scout meeting, I'm not sure, Scout meeting. And she apparently beat herself to death with a claw hammer by beating in her skull and continuing to do so long after she was dead. Very, very talented woman. Very talented. Yeah, went went above and beyond in committing suicide. And we don't say, I know you certainly don't, and I, I don't say that for a laugh. We're, we're just about out of time. You, you've got to go anyway. I want to mention those websites, worldcouncilforhealth.org. Check it out. It's an impressive website, worldcouncilforhealth.org. And uh, do, uh, uh, folks, uh, go to opensourcetruth.com for more on what Rima was telling you about the governor of, uh, of New York State and what they're planning to do there. You must take action. You must tell her and, and tell her cronies that people around the world are seeing this. They understand that it is the precedent for what will happen to them if they do not take action. So they are saying, don't you dare.
Brilliant to have you back on, Rima. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Richie. Love, love, love having you on and I look forward to next time. Thanks. Uh, the, the medical director of uh, the Natural Solutions Foundation, that is uh, Dr. Rima Labo on the Richie Allen Show, Monday's programme. Uh, an enormous amount of comments came in on that. Uh, I didn't get the chance to stop uh, and go through them. Apologies for that, but do keep them coming in. RichieAllen.co.uk where it says live comment on the very top of uh, the uh, the page on the menu bar there. Thanks again to uh, to uh, Rima. Yeah, mm. Nagalese doctors dying in mysterious circumstances. These were things we discussed quite a lot on this program pre uh, the, uh, the the COVID thing, uh, didn't we? We did indeed. I could be here all day talking about that. Uh, that's about it for me for today. Thank you so much to Dr. David Macareth. And good luck to him in his legal battles going forward. Of course, the, the doctor who lost his job at the Department for Work and Pensions because he said on conscience, I cannot uh, refer to men as she or as madam. I can't do that. There are very important reasons why I shouldn't be compelled to do that. Uh, his right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion. He's fighting for those. Thanks to Dr. David Macareth. And thanks again to Dr. Ema Labo for her time on the programme today. Would you believe a very old pal of mine will be on the programme tomorrow? It's about five years since I spoke with him. Uh, he formerly worked at the Ministry for Defence, would you believe, uh, looking at reports of unidentified flying objects. Uh, Nick Pope will be on the programme tomorrow. Uh, really looking forward to it. Swapped a couple of nice emails with Nick in the last few days and we're going to talk with him about UFOs and much more in the second hour of tomorrow's programme. Nick Pope will be among the guests. Until tomorrow, Tuesday, you take care of yourselves, look after yourselves and one another and uh, it's bye from me. 